Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 through 31. This is the word of the Lord. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has spurned the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Actions and consequence. This is one of the inescapable reality of life. For actions, there will be consequence. Sometimes it may be a good consequence. Sometimes it may be a bad consequence. It's one of the hardest lessons that I think we uh, learn growing up, that our actions have consequence. It's something that we're working on teaching Josiah right now. Uh, If you yell at your mother when she tells you to do something, that action has consequence. It's true for us as we get older, right? If you don't go to work, you lose your job. The action has consequence. Uh, If you speed uh, while passing a police officer, you may get a ticket. The action has consequence. If you don't pay your rent, you may lose your place where you live. If you abuse any kind of thing, you might lose your health. You might lose your loved ones. None of us truly like the idea of having consequence for our actions. In fact, if you're anything like me, you would like to remove the consequence for actions. It's not pleasant to have consequences for actions. Still today, we have consequences for our actions. And for many who have thought this, and we've all thought it, they have allowed this to go to a point where uh, if I want to remove consequence for action, let's remove judgment. If we can take away judgment, if there is no consequences for my actions, then I can do whatever I want. Action without consequence. That's what we desire. That's what this world desires. To be able to do what we want to do, when we want to do it, how we want to do it, and nothing else matters. In this chapter, for the fourth, or in this book, I should say, this letter, for the fourth time, we are being exhorted by the writer of this letter that we are not 
to fall away from the faith. We are not to turn our back on Jesus Christ. We are not, for the original hearers, to return to Judaism. Because the consequence for doing this, for turning our back on Jesus Christ, the consequence is hell. Judgment. Eternal punishment. Do not return, the writer says, to your former way of life. So we're going to see three things as we come to our text. First, the certainty of hell. Second, the danger of apostasy. And third, the reality of God's love. The certainty of hell, the danger of apostasy, and the reality of God's love. Now, one of the things you don't often hear uh, from the pulpit, and particularly uh, just because it hasn't often uh, come up in the different series that I've done, is a good old fire and brimstone sermon. Uh, but this is a good old fire and brimstone text. Uh, there is this, this text here uh, is laced with the judgment that comes for those who are apart from God. It makes clear, very clear, crystal clear, a, a, a teaching which is, which is widely rejected in our world today. And that is uh, the reality and the nature of hell. We, have, we live largely in a generation that has refused to accept the reality of a judgment, and particularly an eternal judgment. In fact, the idea of hell uh, has become somewhat sensationalized, uh, dare I say even commercialized. And in many ways it has neutered the intent uh, that should be terrifying us about hell. It's been made into a myth used to scare us, but it has no bite. And there are several different arguments that will be made uh, to debunk the idea of hell. Uh, the first and foremost may be simply, well, God is a myth. If God's a myth, then the idea of heaven or hell is a myth. Simply, therefore, nothing exists. Those are going to be from those outside the church. But even inside the church, there are several different arguments made. There are some in the church who will say this. If God is a God of love, then he cannot also be a God of judgment. Those two things are incompatible. And since I believe God is a God of love, then there is no judgment. And they simply dismiss it. While at the same time dismissing the majority of not only the Bible, but a lot of the New Testament. Others may say something like this. Yes, there is a judgment, but it's not an eternal judgment. Uh, at the judgment, the soul of the believer or, or the unbeliever is burned up and then it's just gone. It's called annihilation. Uh, that they are simply erased from existence. That it's not an everlasting torment. But our text today uh, helps us work through these ideas. And the first thing that we see is that it affirms the judgment of God. Verse 26, or let's go to 27. But a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. For those who deliberately go on sinning, there is a fearful expectation of judgment and the fury of fire that will consume all those 
who keep on sinning. There is a divine wrath that is coming for the unjust. So how then do we reconcile a God of love with a God of judgment? And the answer is in some ways quite simple that these two things are not opposed. In fact, these two things are inseparable. When you talk about uh, raising children, um, and we often communicate this to our children, it's something they don't, I don't think they believe. The way you show your child that you don't love them is to simply by do, do nothing. I'm going to let my child live however they want to live. And that is showing no love to them. You're teaching them nothing. You're not instructing them at all. Punishment is a form of love because it says, no, you're not allowed to live however you want. Because sometimes the way you want to live is destructive to both you and to others. And so I restrain you. I punish you in an act of love. To reject judgment is to reject the very idea of who God is. Because God is sovereign over all things. He is perfectly holy. He is sinless in all ways. He cannot abide sin. For God to allow sin into his presence would be contrary to his very nature. There cannot be a God of love without there also being a God of wrath. He cannot be good without also being just. And I believe this is, this is actually the reason why many uh, evangelicals have latched on to this idea of annihilation. Okay, we cannot escape the idea that God is a God of justice and that there must be some sort of justice. But let's neuter that justice a little. And it's, this will be good for PR or whatever. Well, it's not eternal punishment. It's just you go into the lake of fire, you're consumed. They may point to texts like Matthew 10, 28. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And so they say, well, both the soul and body will be destroyed. This is people like John Stott. John Stott, who is a... a a theologian who I oftentimes will use his, his writing uh, because it's, a lot of it's very beneficial. But he held to this view of annihilation, which is not a biblical view. And this is what he said wrongly. If to kill is to deprive the body of life, hell would seem to be the deprivation of both physical and spiritual life. That is an extinction of being. It would be strange if people who are said to suffer destruction are in fact not destroyed. But if you go to other parts of scriptures, like Matthew 18, 8, it says, And if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame with two, than with two hands or two feet than to be thrown into the eternal fire. Or Mike, Mark 9, 48, talking about hell, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Scripture points to an eternal punishment, an eternal judgment and so he's making the warning again uh, brothers and sisters in Christ you who have known Jesus and have seen Jesus do not turn away from him 
Because if you do, there is a judgment for you. And, and the key word here in verse 26 is deliberately. It's the same Greek word that's used in uh, 1 Peter 5.2, uh, which is translated as under compulsion or not under compulsion. Uh, so what this is not is not simply uh, Christians who struggle in sin. Christians will uh, struggle in sin. It refers actually to those who reject God's authority, who flagrantly continue in their sin, who deliberately again and again return to their sin. And the reality is this, that we all know like two groups of people, right? We know people who have been in the church, who leave for a time and then return to the church. There are times, and even in our own lives, where we can say, I was in the church and then I had this time of rebellion, but ultimately my faith brought me back. But we also know those who have been in the church and have left the church and have just never come back, who have even died apart. The reality is that we don't know which is which, right? We're not able to tell the difference. But what we're to to faithfully do is to do what the writer of Hebrews here does, to continually call people back to faith. Because the reality is that hell is real. No matter what this world has convinced itself. And I believe that the church does great harm when we try to minimize the punishment that is to come. And we do this, we get guilty, we get to feeling guilty. Well, it's not, the, the problem is this. There are people in our life that we love. They may be friends, they may be family. She's not here this morning, but I remember having a conversation with Ashton once uh, when she was in elementary school and she had made a friend who was a Muslim friend. And she said, well, she's Muslim. Is she going to go to hell? And I had to say, if she remains in that, then yes, she will. She goes, but I really like her. I said, I know, sweetheart. But you have to know that who God is and what is just and what is right. Hell is real. And we don't like it because we have to put faces with these people, don't we? They're our family, they're our friends. And so if we can just minimize it. Early in, our, in American's history, there was something called the Great Awakening. First Great Awakening. And there was a man by the name of Jonathan Edwards. He wrote a very famous sermon entitled, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. This is one of the great fire and brimstone sermons. I remember my wife telling me that she went to a Christian school and they had to read it, I think. It is. It's, it's become widely known, one of these great fire and brimstone uh, sermons. But the reality of it is, is that that sermon actually offers a lot of hope, too. But he goes through, I'm not going to tell, tell you all of his kind, kind of ten main considerations, but he, but he, he does have like ten. Uh, they sound like this. God may cast wicked men into hell at any given moment. The wicked deserve to be cast into hell. Divine justice does not prevent God from destroying the wicked at any moment. The wicked at this moment suffer under God's condemnation to hell simply because there are not visible means of death before them at any given moment. 
the wicked should not feel secure. And he goes on and he talks about this, but his conclusion is this. Therefore, let everyone that is out of Christ now awake and fly from the wrath to come. Therefore, let anyone who is out of Christ awake and flee the wrath that is to come because as true as, the, as hell is, and it is true, and as true as judgment, it is, it, it is true, we also know that we have a means by which to escape these things. We are to hear the gospel, to hear the warning, to know that God is just, but he is also justifier of sinners. That we cannot stand before God in our own wickedness. We must come and repent or know that we will fall under his just and righteous condemnation. Hell is certain. And there is a real danger, this is our second point, of apostasy. What does apostasy mean? Apostasy means to turn away to move to something else. It's not real Christians who fall away, but those who profess Christ, but were never really saved. They grasp the teaching of the gospel, but they ultimately reject Jesus. The apostate reject the person of Christ as God's son. They reject Christ's saving work on the cross. They reject the Holy Spirit who brought near the gospel. Often people will hear this term of the unforgivable sin. What is the unforgivable sin? Some may even be worried, have I committed the unforgivable sin? Uh, And the reality is is if you're worried about it, I'm pretty sure you haven't committed it. (laughs) Um, Many people don't know what it is. Simply what the unforgivable sin is this. It's a willful rejection of Christ and his gospel. It's those who understand the gospel, who understand what it means, and they say, I reject it. It's the, the best, I think, biblical example of this is the Pharisees who see Jesus healing the blind and they say what? That's the work of the devil. It's crediting to Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit, the power of the devil. That is the unforgivable sin. sin. And many will come and they'll be outraged that judgment is there. They don't acknowledge that they've earned this judgment. But the funny thing is this, and even as we're considering this and and eventually not right away here, but we'll move to our next point, understanding the reality of God's love is that when we have to consider apostasy and the danger of falling away and the judgment that comes from falling away, we really begin to muddy the waters of our faith, or, or, or excuse me, we, we muddy the waters of faith and of what God has done because we come and say how unfair, how unjust it is that God would judge anyone. And yet we are missing something crucial in this because the outrageous thing is not that God would judge. The outrageous thing is that God would judge his own son. Jesus Christ. Who hung on a cross. Who who suffered the wrath of God for sins. That we would look upon that and say, meh, 
The outrageous thing is that a man having received this knowledge should despise it, should trample under his foot the name of God's son, should treat as unholy the precious blood of Jesus. The idea of of hell, the idea of of Christians and talking about hell has kind of gotten a lot of bad press, right? The idea of hell doesn't sell well. If you want to grow the church, it doesn't sell well, does it? And part, part of this is maybe some of the faults of the church being so over the top in the way maybe sometimes it communicates. Instead of showing people the love of Christ, they may at times just simply throw judgment at them. But those who who kind of reject this idea of hell, who reject people who make the claims, say things like this. How can you be so arrogant? Look at all the good people around you. How can you tell me that there are those who are apart from God. And this has led the church to universalism that says, yeah, you're right. Um, there's many paths to God, right? That's what some people in the church, quote, big air quotes, church have said, yeah, there's any number of ways to God. Just pick your path. It's like that. I remember when I was a kid, they used to have choose your own adventure storybooks. Right, you'd be reading, and it says, "If you want this to happen, go to this page. Or if you want this to happen, go to this page." And you kind of build your own story, and that's what's kind of easy. Like, just pick your own way to God. But the Bible teaches, the writer here teaches that apostasy is a real thing. It's something that we have to be ever vigilant about. That there are people in your life who may claim to be Christians who do not know Him. And we have to be ever vigilant. And it comes down to this. Where do we place the greatest importance in our life? Are we more concerned with being politically correct in the world, of not offending the world, or are we worried about the truth that comes from God? We cannot muddy the waters. There is only one source of good. There is only one who is good. We must hold firm in his truth even though it may cost us the opinion, the respect of this world, knowing that we seek not this world's approval, but we seek God's approval. We don't seek the pleasure of this world. We seek the pleasure that comes from God. Because in all of this we see the reality Of God's love. In 30 and 31, the writer here points to two passages passages in Deuteronomy 32. Deuteronomy 32, 35 and Deuteronomy 32, uh, 36. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. And it ends in 31 with this passage that says, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And it is certainly, certainly fearful knowing that God is the one who can destroy both body and soul, that he can bring judgment. 
upon us. And the last section here really puts a punctuation on our warning about judgment. Because here's the thing. The fact that it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands uh, of a living God was uh, not even lost on Jesus himself. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, as he contemplates what is to come, what was he contemplating? Was he simply contemplating his death? No, he was contemplating the wrath of God, which would soon be poured upon him. And this is what he says in Luke 22. Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Because here's the thing, Jesus, while I'm sure he was not relishing the thought of the physical hurt that was coming, he understood a greater hurt was coming. That he would suffer the eternal wrath of God for sin. J.I. Packer says it this way, the physical pain, though great, for crucifixion remains the cruelest form of judicial execution that the world has ever known, was yet only a small part of the story. Jesus' chief sufferings were mental and spiritual, and what was packed into less than 400 minutes was an eternity of agony Agony such that each minute was an eternity in itself. The point is that sin is morally repulsive. And this is lost on those who complain about God's wrath. But sin is morally repulsive. Sin is terrible. And the cross declares it as terrible. J.C. Ryle says this. Terribly black must the guilt be for which nothing but the blood of the Son of God could make satisfaction. Heavy must that weight of human sin be which made Jesus groan and sweat drops of blood in agony at Gethsemane and cry in Golgotha, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? When we consider how heinous sin is, uh, part of understanding that is understanding what it took So that we could have forgiveness of sins. And it was nothing less than the blood of the Son of God that would satisfy God's wrath. Do you want to see how weighty our sin is? Consider how weighty the cost was. But in that we also see the love of God for us. Because at the cross we see the reality of sin. We see the reality of God's judgment upon us, upon it. But we also see God's love and that he provided for us a way that we could escape, that we could not suffer this judgment by pouring that judgment upon his own son. The cross reveals the love of God for us. Christ embodied this 
verse, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Because on the cross, Christ fell into the hands of a living God. He suffered wrath and judgment that was our own. The death of Christ was required for God to be reconciled to his creatures. And in it we see the fullness of his love. Therefore we cannot trample on the love of Jesus with our unbelief. Let us not call the blood of Jesus unholy. Precious is the blood of Jesus that was shed for sinners. And yes, how terrible it will be for them on that day that Christ returns. For all those who deny him. For all those who have said, I see the blood of Jesus and I count it as nothing. It is terrible for them. It is terrible. Because judgment is real. The judgment we deserved was poured out on him. This is the wonder of all wonders. When the world cries out, he's a God of love, not a God of judgment. We say, no, he's both. He's a God who loves us so much that he poured his judgment on his own son. We must show them the foolishness of their presumption. We must show them the character and nature of God. That God so loved the world that he sent his only Son, to die in order that we might live. But we cannot presume upon his grace and mercy. We cannot use him as a safety net, as a catch-all. We cannot equate what Jesus has done as being equal with what the rest of the false religions of the world teach. Because that's what universalism does. It says, yeah, Jesus' death on the cross, that's the same as everything else. And it's simply not true. It's simply not true. People need Jesus. They need his saving love. And we're to show them Jesus because they are in danger of eternal judgment. We should not turn from this point at all. And to do so, to soften the message of hell, to soften the message of wrath and judgment, is to devalue the blood of Jesus. It's to devalue what Christ has done for us. Hell is a certainty. There is a real place of punishment for all of those who are apart from Christ. There is a danger of apostasy. There is a real danger for those who have not truly surrendered to Jesus, who hear the good news, who will reject it. But in this, let us be reminded of the love of God, that he sent his son as the only means of our salvation, that he has provided all that we need so that we might have life. And let us with gladness and hope rely on him and him alone. For brothers and sisters in Christ, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus. 
Lord, we acknowledge the, the danger, the true danger of judgment and apostasy. Would you secure in each of us the reality of what Christ has done? And would we lay our trust and hope on you and would we compromise it for nothing? For there is nothing greater in all this world than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Thank you for your son. We pray in his holy name. Amen.